0: Hello to all my rhinos. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no hold bar. I'd rather go
1: one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun and I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me.
0: Hello, welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. My name's Chris Gethard and I am lucky to be your host. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get into it, just want to put it out here. Surprise! I got some tour dates coming up. I thought I was going to shut it down because I got a baby on the way. My wife and I spoke about it. She said, you know what, if you're going to get out on the road this year, you better do it before the baby comes. So I'm going to do it the southeast. I haven't been through the southeast. I know there's a lot of uh, beautiful Anonymous fans in the southeast. So I'm doing Charleston, South Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee, Huntsville, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, Go get tickets at chriskeff.com right now. Would love to meet you. And, of course, Brooklyn. I got my residency at Union Hall. You can get tickets for that there, too. Okay, we got to talk about this week's episode because it's going to be a divisive one. I'm pretty fascinated by it. It's going to make a lot of people angry, though. People online and have stuff to say, and I want to say a few things about that. So I actively solicited this caller. Don't get mad at her. You want to get mad at her politics? Get mad at her politics. You got get any? If you're going to get mad at somebody for putting it into your... uh podcast feed, get mad at me. Here's what happened. In the Facebook group associated with this show, a guy came on a few weeks ago and I think in a very valid way said, you know, I'm, I'm conservative and my political views are, are not represented here. And in fact, it seems to always be progressive values. And I think that's true. I think the progressivism is closer to my values. I'm 50% of every call. Maybe the callers are more comfortable expressing those politics because they know I agree on some level. I said, hey, leave voicemails if you're conservative. I want to hear from the other side of the fence. And caller you're about to hear is a woman who identifies as a conservative politically. A few things I'll say about this. Outside of politics, her life story is fascinating, as fascinating as anyone else who's ever been on this show. So respect her and enjoy the call on that level. She's been through a lot. She's handled it well. And it's led to why she's embraced the political value she has. We don't always talk about where these choices come from. We sometimes avoid politics we disagree with. So I'm just going to say, let's everybody use this as an opportunity. I've really come to be tired of this culture where if we come across something we don't agree with, we can change the channel or we can click X on a box so we don't have to see it. I think everybody who loves this show, loves empathy, loves listening— And I kind of feel like if I'm being honest, I don't think our senators listen to each other. I don't think our representatives do. And I think we have a chance to maybe be some of the people who say, let's get back to a world in which I will listen to someone I disagree with. And that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it by the end. I might still be mad, but I'm not going to buy just into this instant rage culture. I'm going to do my part to at least hear it, where it comes from. She has a great story. She has strong opinions. There's funny moments in this. Hear it out. Remember that I asked for this to happen. So if you're mad this is out there, get mad at me. Show respect to her, even though you don't have to respect her opinions or agree with them. I don't, I don't agree with a lot of her opinions. I don't endorse them. I don't. Just putting them out here doesn't mean I agree with them. But what I do endorse is the idea that I no longer want to live in a world where we just run in the opposite direction as soon as someone says something we don't like. I want to have the hard conversations. This is one of them. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Is this guest? It is. Hi. How it's are you? so
1: awesome to talk to you. I've been a very long-time listener. Long, long-time listener.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for checking out the show.
1: Yeah. I always kind of chuckle when I'm listening to the podcast when people tell you that, but I think it's kind of necessary if you finally get to this place and connect to you. So congratulations on all your success and for creating this really awesome podcast for everyone.
0: Thanks. I feel really lucky that this one fell out of the sky and I was standing here when it happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. So how are you today?
0: How am I today? I'm good. I'm good. This is kind of the, uh, I, I, you know, I, I woke up and I was doing some busy work and this is the first real, like, let's buckle in and and, and be productive today moment. So feel good. Mostly just hanging out at home with the wife and uh, making sure she gets what she needs because she's, as of the time we're recording this, we're coming up on seven months pregnant. It's wild.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I'm so excited for you. Thanks. I have four children, so. You do? Yes, I do. How, cra- that is
0: How crazy is this of- about to get? How crazy is this last few yes, months going to
1: get? It is, which I probably am going to be a very different guest on your show. I have obviously listened for a long time. And so I've heard all of the different humans that you've had the privilege of talking to and I haven't quite had the experience of feeling like there was someone like me, and so I think this is a really awesome opportunity.
0: Oh, I meant, how crazy is the pregnancy gonna get? You, you oh. were, you, you're promising me a crazy ass phone call.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that's funny. The pregnancy, actually, I was fortunate. I had good pregnancies, and I had a very. Supportive husband, and it sounds like you're really supportive. So I will tell you that the last four weeks are the absolute hardest and
0: worst. It's really hard at the end. Yeah, that's what I keep here. People keep yeah. bracing me for that. Also, how come, here's a, how come that in for all of my life, it's everybody saying nine months, nine months, and it's not nine <laughs> months, it's 10 it's months. Not,
1: 10, yeah. Why well, do we say and longer if they go overdue?
0: Why do we claim it's nine months? This is like the pop culture thing. It's it's 10 months.
1: I know. I, com- I completely agree with you. It's not fair. But I think I had really bad sickness too at the beginning of my mm-hmm. pregnancies. But honestly, the end, nothing compares to the marathon that you have to brace yourself for in those last four weeks. And <laughs> I know your wife is very healthy and yeah. she is a very health-conscious person, so she will have the upper hand, but time just seems like it goes by in centuries in those last four weeks.
0: Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad you're giving it to me realistic. A lot of people are like, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. And I'm like, well, I've also heard it can be quite difficult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Now you say you say yeah. that this I I brought up how crazy it's gonna get. You say, Yeah, this call. is about to get crazy because I haven't heard people like me on there. What are we talking about here? What are we talking about here?
1: So I don't go into your Facebook group every day, but I do happen upon it every once in a while because I enjoy the podcast so much. And there was a conversation that extended with many members about having a conservative on your show. Yes. And so I would identify myself as a conservative. However, I think what is going to be most revealing about this and hopefully what a lot of other people can identify with is I don't think conservatives like myself are really Like the squeakiest wheel right now. And I know from viewing the comments in the Facebook group, there are a lot of people like me who listen to your show and perhaps haven't been totally represented. And I think there's a lot of um, misunderstandings and mischaracterizations about our kind of ideologies. And so I definitely am not the expert on conservatism, but I wanted to just reach out and kind of tell my story and the reason why. I think myself and perhaps other people like me believe what they do.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to tell you right away. I'm psyched that you called. Um, for anybody listening who's not in the Facebook group, which I, I think it's a good th- Overall, I think that group is a very positive, healthy place of discussion. Yeah. I like it. Um, but there was a conversation. And I'm so glad you called. I'm so glad you called because someone left a message there in a thread that said, you know, I'm a conservative. And I actually feel like my opinion hasn't been represented on Beautiful Anonymous. And in fact kind of basically said that my personal politics and I, you know, I'm a New York city artist. I, I'm, I'm way on the, I'm like a borderline communist, I would say probably in, in many people's <laughs> eyes. Um, and, and said, you know, that those are the politics that show up. And I said, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Well, you know, and I said, I'm not, I'm not trying to push an agenda with this show ever I'm trying to talk to people. But yeah, when it gets political, my politics tend to show up cause I'm always 50% of the conversation um, but and I but I said I know that that is not fair, and I actually would be very excited to talk to people who are conservatives. And I'm not trying to demonize anybody or go after anybody, but for a few reasons, here's a few reasons why I'm excited. You called him, why I wanted this to happen. One, I think that I think this show has been a celebration of diversity in many ways, and I think diversity of thought is is one of those topics. And this is an area that we haven't really had someone stand up and represent, and I think that's good. And I would also say too. I want to listen to everybody. I think I th- I can remember at the age of 38, I can remember a time when there were when there was a there were the Republicans and the Democrats and I think both sides were a little bit less um extreme. radical. Yeah, radicalized yeah. or extreme or stubborn or or as dug in. And I remember a time, even as a kid, realizing it's probably around, the, in my memory, although maybe that's just when I was getting old enough to be aware of this stuff, it felt like Clinton's impeachment is when so much of this changed, and Newt Gingrich is when so much of this changed, and it became that. And it felt healthier before that than it did afterwards to me. So yeah. I want to talk it's to definitely. people who think in other ways that I do. And I might ask you some questions that make you mad, and you might say some, and vice versa, I'm sure, but we'll be friends at the end.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think generation likeness, I am in a similar age bracket to you. And honestly, I think that helps a lot because I have listened to every episode and the Trump supporter that was on your show, she was of an older generation than I am. And so I really couldn't relate to her. And so I think it demonstrated how even in the same political party. How many different variations of beliefs can exist? Just like there are, you know, more conservative liberals, and then there's people who are like um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who is probably more on the liberal side, along um, with
0: I love you. Are clearly a very measured person. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, <laughs> probably on the more liberal side. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's probably over on that end. Yeah, probably. Um, Yeah, and so
1: even within the same political party, there can be a lot of different representations. And I think that's what I felt like was coming out of the Facebook group is that there's only been really one side demonstrated in conservatism on the podcast. And even in the media, I feel like right now, it's really far to one side. And so... I my new year's resolution this year was I was not going to speak about things that I didn't know about. I wanted to be more of a person who was like, "I don't know. I'm I'm comfortable with saying I don't know about things." I think mm-hmm. women so often we were expected to like have answers especially in the business world and I wanted to be a person who said, "I don't know" more often. And so I think I don't claim to know all the answers, but I just wanted to give a different perspective inside of it, and maybe peek not only your thoughts but your listeners' thoughts.
0: Well, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Okay. Where, do, where do you think we should dive into this? On because on, you're right. We've had I think one outright conservative voice on the in the entire history of the show, which we've been doing what like two and a half years now, and it was yeah. a someone who was voting for Trump. I think from a very emotional place. Um,
1: yes, and I think she came from a background that she believes strongly like in having a strong military and having a strong person. And I totally understood from her reasoning why she felt like that. But for me, I think I am more in the group that is considered, in its worst of terms, they call them rhinos or Republican in name only. Or in the best of terms, they call us compassionate conservatives, compromising conservatives, People who are much more along the lines of like a John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, like that group of people, I definitely align myself with them. But trust me, I think a lot of people who see themselves as liberals could relate to my story because I was a teen mom. I probably have debunked every single statistic that you could have in your life based upon where I came from. It's kind of miraculous that I'm even here like in the position that I'm in and so I I think that makes it even more extraordinary that I de- identify as conservative but there's a lot of reasons why so I can like dive in to that
0: yeah tell me about that yeah. that sounds fascinating I think so yeah go for it oh
1: okay so I was raised by very liberal parents like my parents were hippies my mom was an open pot smoker she smoked marijuana before it was legal in places all the time and she was a card carrying feminist and really instilled in my family the value of women and self worth and the agency that we had as women. And my mom did not have a lot of that agency growing up. I did not have a silver spoon. There were many times where we did not have heat or we did not have food. And my parents are the true American dream of they did not have things provided for them. They made it for themselves. They took responsibility and they really tried hard and became entrepreneurs, put themselves through trade school. Both of my parents never went to university or college. They just went through trade school and opened their own businesses and really struggled to provide for their family. And in high school, my mom made us volunteer for Planned Parenthood and I volunteered for the National Abortion Rights Action League and got exposure to a lot of things in the liberal sphere and grew to respect women and, of course, the middle class because I grew up very blue collar or low middle class. And so it really wasn't until I went to college myself that things started to change for me. Um, my parents had a really rough divorce. And they were kind of done with parenting. And so I had to move out actually when I was 16 on my own. And I moved out with a boyfriend who was in the Marines. And it was like right when we were going to war with Iraq. And so it was a really crazy time in America at that time because there was all this fear about 9-11. And I think for our generation, we can remember that because we were kind of starting our lives at that point when all that fear was happening, I'm sure you can relate to that guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And so I was kind of in a search for family. And so I found myself in a situation where I got pregnant really young and I was in college and I was pregnant and I was at a crossroads where I could have quit college, gotten a job and provided for my child but I had this stubbornness when I was noticing everyone around me that were like, Oh, well you have to drop out of school now. Like your life is over. You're going to have a baby. You have to drop out of school. You have to focus on that. I had this stubbornness in me that thought, no, I am not going to be that statistic. I'm going to stay. I'm going to finish school. And I did finish and I went on to work in an interesting job for the environment that we're in now. Um, I am actually an auditor and so I audit basically how companies how can I say this without like but to still try to stay anonymous um basically how healthcare companies making sure that they don't perform medicare fraud and things like that and so the fact that I've gotten to where I've gotten from that is what ma- made me probably more of a conservative because when I was a teenager and pregnant, I sought out all of the resources that this country has to provide for us, like food stamps and WIC and a lot of those, I think, programs that are supported by like liberal ideals about equality. And I found that they were not empowering to teenage moms like me or to the other people that I met through those programs. They were actually very like entrapping because if I got a job where I was going to be paid decently, like a living wage, there is no tapering down from food stamps or from getting help. It was like you, you start to do well where you get ahead and you get penalized. And so it was something that was really hard for me to feel like it was helping. And although I see the need for them, and I've i done a lot of work in my career with entitlement programs like food stamps, it wasn't something that I felt helped me get out of my situation. It was something that kept me entrapped. And so that's probably when I started to move away from the beliefs of my parents, and started to become more of a conservative and believe more in personal re- responsibility and like individualism and having things be more about, I guess you could say like entrepreneurship and having agency in a free market where you can be competitive and make money and not be penalized for that. And you are so quiet right
0: now. <laughs> no, I'm taking it all in. I'm taking okay. it all in. I'm taking notes so I can be respectful. Yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. Oh, good. Well, I have I had one logistical question about your story. So, yeah. when you were Wait. pregnant in college, you had said that yeah. was kind of like um you were really looking for a family. So that was a planned pregnancy.
1: No, it was oh. not at all. I was a freshman, and it was someone that I had met very newly and no, it was not planned. I found myself, you know, 18 and pregnant and it was a big shock because it wasn't what, it wasn't the trajectory that I had envisioned for my life. But being so many years later, I can recognize what was going on. I think I was, I got close to that person who, luckily he's my husband now, but I got close to that person because I was, searching for family. I had had to move out at 16. I didn't have a family anymore. My parents had kind of been like checked out. And so I was looking for family. And so I I recognize the rationale behind my decisions now, but I went to a traditional four-year university. It was rated on Princeton Review many times for like the number one party school. There was not pregnant girls at this university. Mm -hmm. It was not a thing. Mm -hmm. It was tough. I mean, I was in my huge freshman seminar classes with frat boys and sorority girls. And here I was with like my pregnant belly at 18.
0: Wow. That's yeah, that's wild.
1: It was wild. It was hard. I had professors who, when I had my son, they were like, you know, you should leave school. I, and that, then I had one professor in particular that was very supportive, and she's probably a big part of the reason why I stayed. She pulled me aside and she said, "You have the best grade in this class, so don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't be here." Because even amongst all those frat boys and sorority sisters, like I was still doing well, and so I didn't stop.
0: Yeah, did you have your uh, did you have your child while the school year was happening, or was it over summer break? Yeah. You did:
1: No, I had him in February, and I took ten days off from class. That was all my professors would give me.
0: of your freshman year, you had a child in February of your freshman year
1: That's right.
0: You took ten days off
1: ten days <laughs> yeah and then it was who,
0: so and then when you're back in classes, who's you're not even two weeks into motherhood who's 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 watching your kid at that point because that's usually like round the clock someone keep an eye on this kid, right?
1: I know. So again, my parents were entrepreneurs. It's not like they could help. And I couldn't by any means afford an annie. I was in college and I didn't, I worked in work study. I didn't have a full-time job. So my husband and I staggered our schedules where he would work like late in the afternoon into the late evenings. And I would go to class in the morning and work in the afternoon and come home just in time for him to leave. And that's what we did for a long time. And it was very difficult. And that's why I was so desperate to get out of that situation and to empower myself to get out of it and not to rely on somebody else. And I just felt like at every step of the road, there were barricades to getting out of poverty and getting out of not getting out of being reliant on the system. There were barricades everywhere. And so that made me really disenchanted with things.
0: Right. Right. So you, yeah. so you came you came to reject your family's the shorthand, right? And you've explained it so well. But you yeah, came-
1: I think that's exactly right. I came to kind of look maybe away from more of the socialist idea of thinking that my parents had and that I know you share a lot of and went more toward. There's personal responsibility, and I don't think there should necessarily be penalty for Uh, agency and you know making money and earning and it and there's not in a perfect system there's equality but there's really not in our system there isn't equality so how do we how do we make a system where people can have agency and that's why from my experience I know better than anybody I'm not a conservative that is mute kids is what people go through in poverty and is mute to the class system. I lived it. I know what it's like not to have food. I know what it's like to be a teen mom. It was having agency like in a free market system where I was able to like make money and get myself out of it. That saved me. It was not public assistance. They didn't have good vocational systems even put in place and they don't in this country. That's what people need is a skill they need a system to give them a skill so they can go make money and get out of the circumstance
0: just don't have that now okay okay yeah because i get so you're i i i really appreciate this i really appreciate this perspective it's not theoretical it's not a debate about you know uh the way you think it should be it's 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 a an experience based version of like no, I've seen the system up close. there's elements of the system that i that i uh participated in or had right. to really look into based on need, and it's a broken system that handcuffs you as much as it helps you i think that's yeah. a, I think that's a fair place to get to things, so I think that's yeah. fair. okay let me how did you okay, I got a bunch of questions. Is that all right? Okay. And and don't be nervous. I hear that laugh, and I know a nervous laugh when I hear one. Okay. I'm not nervous. (laughs) That's the laugh of someone who feels like the screws are about to be put to them. That's what that laugh sounds like to me. Those questions are coming. The screws will be put to each other. That sounded weird. You know what? I'm going to take a break and reflect on why I just said that. While I do, advertisers help. This show. Check out what they have to offer. Use the promo codes if you're so inclined. We'll be back right after this. OkCupid is the only dating app that finds you someone based on who you are and what you're into. The OkCupid dating app asks you fun and meaningful questions that matter to you. No judgments. Just a way for people to see you for you and connect on a deeper level. From questions like, would you pay an extra $5 for guac? To... Are you close to your family? And should partners know one another's passwords? You'll see tons of answers that lead to great conversations and great dates with people who feel the same way you do. Some of their example questions. One of the most divisive questions, and I tell you, I've seen people have outright fights about this, is a hot dog a sandwich. How about are you a good trivia team member? That is a good foundational building block for any relationship. Do you like to go clubbing? That would be a good thing to know about your partner before you get into it one way or the other. Tell people about your favorite album, your last great trip, or your favorite podcast and let the love roll in on the OKCupid app. Whether you're looking for that person to join you on a long walk on the beach or a short walk to the pool bar, they're waiting for you on the OKCupid app. And don't forget, Valentine's Day is coming up. It's a great time of the year to find love, get back out there. I'm just going to say on a personal level, OKCupid, uh, they worked with us on a bit for the Chris Gethard Show. Very cool people. Very cool people. Very cool company. I think they do innovative stuff with their app. And I think you should go download the free OkCupid app today and meet people who will appreciate all the awesome things that make you you. Thanks to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. That's the laugh of someone who feels like the screws are about to be put to them. That's what that laugh sounds like to me. Um, Okay. Okay, no, let me... uh, let me, okay, a couple, a couple questions. Um, how did you pay for college?
1: So that was really tough because my parents weren't helping me. So I got financial aid and I was a work study in the financial aid office. And so what was awesome about that is I got to learn how to maximize your financial aid when you were a person like me. So I was counseling people on how to get their financial aid and, through that, I was able to learn myself what was available for me in grants and in loans. And I had to take out a ton of loans to get through college. Mm -hmm. And that was rough. And, but I did it. And I didn't want to be one of those people that I was meeting everywhere where they said, I didn't go to school. I became a mother, so Mm -hmm. I didn't go to school. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be that.
0: Uh-huh. And did you say at one point that your parents kicked you out when you were 16 or did I mishear that?
1: It was essentially that, yeah, they were, my parents got a divorce and my mom was busy with her business and my dad was busy with with his business and they kind of stopped coming home. And at a certain point, my dad and my mom were both like, yeah, it's probably kosher for you to go, wow. okay. go on your own.
0: So. yeah crazy yeah. real yeah, it was crazy let me okay, here's a big one. Here's a big question seems like seems like there's a big turning point in this in your story and correct me if I'm wrong. but it seems like at the age of eighteen, when you decide you're having this baby and this other college kid who wound up in the situation with you,
1: mm-hmm. seems
0: like a big turning point is when this guy decides to step up and be a part of this, true or false?
1: True. I definitely recognize that if I had not have had him, it would have been all doubly challenging um, because we had a dual income. But there were women who I was counseling in the financial aid office who would come. I was not the only girl who ran into trouble in this massive university that I was attending. and so. I was able to talk to girls, you know, in the financial aid office about how to do it, even if you didn't have a spouse. And so I'm confident had I not had him there because I had, I was able to see like the inner workings of how you get through with financial aid. I could have done it.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You were ready for that question. Yep. <laughs> ready for that question. Um, okay. okay. Now, um, what aspects of this system, do you think make it permanently broken? Like it sounds to me like there's a world, and it, it this is a very genuine question. And I'm not trying to have these gotcha questions. I have a fun pretending I am, but I don't care. Who oh, cares? I like that. Yeah, good. I'm having fun with the tone, but I'm not like a detective trying to crack the case and get you to agree with me. I know that's not gonna happen in the next 35 minutes. Um what is what is it about your experience with the system that makes you feel like it's a matter of not just making that system better. Why is the system one that you need to abandon that you view as unfixable based on your personal experience yeah. that I admittedly have not shared?
1: Yes, yeah, so that comes to kind of the second chapter of my story which is where I worked as an auditor and then while working as an auditor for the I worked for the federal government initially and then I went back to graduate school and the thesis that I wrote on was on the food stamp program. So the reason why I think it's not fixable is because by design, the way that it is set up and I guess the delivery of it is that it it provides people financial means to give themselves the necessities if it was if it was a system where it tapered down, let's say when you start to get a really good job, it still is like a loss. you're feeling that that impact of the loss of that money that was coming in. I think it serves people so much better to provide them with a skill and to provide them with the vocational training so that they are able to provide for themselves and then they never feel the hit of that loss. And so they never get dependent on it. And there were people that I met when I was younger that because they had that reliance on it, then they started to do things that were not legal. And that's the worst pieces that we hear in the finance in the financial assistance system is people who start to commit fraud so that they can stay within it. And that was definitely present. I don't think it's as present as people think it is. I think it's probably the minority of people who do that, but they do. And it's because they don't want to ever feel the hit of losing it. Mm-hmm. And they've mm-hmm. not been provided the training to get a skill, have gainful employment, and provide for themselves, that like personal responsibility. And that's why I don't think it's like ever gonna be the greatest idea that we could do to help people have agency and get out of poverty.
0: So you basically advocate the old, uh, the ancient uh, teach a man to fish proverb. You'd rather teach a person to fish than give them a fish. You view the government as handing out a lot of fish instead of a lot of fishing poles.
1: Right. And because I was like a recipient of it, I don't think that it should be eradicated. Obviously, there are elderly people and folks who are disabled that they're never going to, you can teach them a skill. They're not going to be able to get gainful employment. That's obvious. But then there's able bodied adults like I was, where, you know, I was 18, I was able bodied. I could work doing anything. I was willing to do anything. Those are the folks that need, more vocational training to get a skill and lift themselves out of it. So that's really when I started to like turn my back on it. And I just, I travel for a living. I go to every single one of the 50 states and I just finished John McCain's book. So like all of this stuff is very um, present in my mind right now, because I think so often we think of conservatives, especially right now, as they want the wall they want the government to be shut down for the wall. And there are so many conservatives who not, do not believe in that. And it was the first time that I felt like somebody got me was when I was reading John McCain's book. He does not believe, he did not believe in a wall. I do not believe in a wall. I do believe in personal responsibility and border security. And I believe in American exceptionalism. And I think that we're the greatest country on earth, but I don't believe in a wall and there are a lot of conservatives that don't
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well that I guess that brings me to the big one and before we get into it, let me say this because it is funny that you're you know I'm so glad you called again because I did I did sort of say I'd love to talk to someone who can speak to me honestly and and, and intelligently about this stuff but here's the thing your story your personal story dovetails so much into your politics but I also just want to say politics aside Your life story is—I mean, it's really—the fact that you are someone who was on your own as a teenager and then also had an unexpected pregnancy and then also still got your degree and now also travels— that's—it's a great story. Regardless of any politics, you're a strong person. And uh, like so many of the calls on this show, that's fascinating. It's fascinating to talk to you. And I see how it all dovetails into the politics and it doesn't feel like— and stuff but okay because I have a lot of questions there's a lot of things I haven't been able to bring up like uh, was any like was any of that uh were any of those uh those loans you got for college were any of those government sponsored we don't have time for that I'd love to ask you why other countries in the world maybe have pulled off versions of this and we haven't in your opinion but since you brought up the wall it brings up the very obvious thing which is that like you said, I think a lot of I think there's a lot of conservatives who point to John McCain as, as someone who represents like an older vision of the Republican Party. So mm-hmm. here's the question. Here's the big question that I think I because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I talk. We joke so much on the show about me being progressive, and I am. But I actually will also say, I also grew up blue collar. My par- my parents. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show. My parents just told me that when they got married between the two of them they had $600 in the bank accounts. That's between the two of them I'm like wow. yeah, like that my mom told me that when they decided to have kids, people in their family sat them down and begged them not to because they were already having such a tough time. Like that's stuff I didn't know. Um fully like I was aware that my family situation got better and better as uh as as I was getting older, but I didn't, I didn't realize how Truly tough it was in the early days, and again, my
1: mom.
0: Yeah. My mom stayed at home for most of my my childhood. My dad worked, you know, he worked his ass off. That being said, I'm a little less of a hippy dippy progressive than maybe we joke about on this show. I'm I'm generally someone who just wants to see people happy and thinks that the progressive ideals tend to lean towards that. So that being said, I'll stop rambling. You brought up the wall. I, At what point do things hit a peak where you, as a compassionate person, don't feel comfortable calling yourself a member of that team? Because it's not just the wall. And you know that. I'm sure you have to put up with it. Like, here's the thing. I'll just put some things out there. There's kids in tents. There's kids in tents. You're a mother of four. If someone separated you and separated your kids from each other and they were all in a bunch of tents and you couldn't track down where they were, You sound like the type of person that would be kicking down those fences. You know what I mean? When something happens like Charlottesville and the president, who, for better or worse, it maybe is not your Republican Party, but it's the Republican Party. And you're here, you know, saying that it is ultimately the one you identify with. When Charlottesville happens and he says, there's a lot of good people on both sides. How do you deal with that? When right. We're I talking today really Roger tough. Stone just got arrested. He's the 27th person associated with this president to be arrested. Yeah. How yeah. how do you stay on that team?
1: You know, I think it probably is I've been thinking about this a lot over the last several weeks as this shutdown has been happening. I don't think that people are all one thing. I think so often in our American culture we think of a person and we just identify them as all one thing. We don't necessarily, I think, give credit to the fact that there's multiple things that make up a person. Like I've got good parts and I've got bad parts and Donald Trump is no different. He, I disagree with him on some fundamental issues. I disagree with the dog whistle that he puts out for a lot of racially charged things. And I, I think that he definitely does that. I think the difference is conservatives and people who identify themselves as liberals, they hear a lot of the things that he's saying differently. And so my father now is like an adamant Trump supporter. And when we talk about these issues, it's fascinating to me because he hears things differently than my mom hears them.
0: Did you say your father or your father-in-law? My father. So he went from so, being a pot-smoking hippie to a, a hardcore Trump supporter. To a Trump supporter, isn't it bizarre? Uh, Fox News, baby. <laughs> Fox News goes a long way. Is he? Is he the brainwashed Fox News archetype?
1: Here's, uh, I think, it's all about your life experience. So my dad was a builder, and he believed that allowing undocumented immigrants and having so much immigration drew those building profits like down because it made people have a race to the bottom, like for labor, what they were going to pay labor. And so he's deeply resentful of that. He believes that all of that coming across the border is the reason why he struggles so much now as a builder, because all of those, what they did now has been like a race to the bottom. Now you could argue on the other side of that, that he has personal responsibility to like diversify himself to Learn new technologies to make his business still profitable, but I can understand from his experience why that would feel like you don't have someone representing you, and I think that is why Donald Trump got elected because people say he do- he doesn't know what he's doing; he had no experience. That is what the Republicans wanted—they wanted somebody who had no clues to like wipe the slate clean. And to speak for them. And when he speaks with that fear, it's what they feel. And I can relate to that because so often I felt like the system was leaving me behind and like other people were benefiting, but I wasn't benefiting. And that the priority wasn't people like me who were willing to work really hard. It was people in other countries. Now, I'm a big believer of amnesty. I think any person who comes to the border and who says that they're in danger should be able to go through the amnesty process. And that's probably where Donald Trump and I differ. And I don't think that there is a a need for a wall. And that's where I think a lot of conservatives aren't represented right now because eminent domain is absolutely against the foundation of conservatism because we believe in property rights. We don't believe that the government can come and take away your land. And that's Mm -hmm. what the wall does. It goes to American citizens and it takes their land to build the wall. That's not a conservative ideal. That's why I would argue, I think Donald Trump is his own brand of conservatism that probably isn't in line with maybe like the traditional sense.
0: Have you hit your personal breaking point yet with his brand?
1: With like Republicans in general,
0: well, because I tell you, I really tell you, I remember that time. I, I remember, and again, there's people who are going to slam me for this, but I remember, like, I remember thinking Bob Dole seemed like a pretty good dude. I was also in seventh. Yeah. I was also in seventh grade. <laughs> There's probably people who know more about him who will go, dude, why did you just say that? But I just remember overall thinking that seems like a good person. That seems like – I remember, again, I was in seventh grade when he ran for president. That being said, I remember that type. At what point though, like I do – I I feel a little bit like you maybe dodged what I brought up in the sense of –
1: Oh, I don't want to dodge it. So I'll speak to it because I'm, in my travels, I go to middle America where there are people who are probably potentially in that group that he was talking about in Charlottesville, that he, he said there are good people on both sides. Obviously, Nazis are not good people. I don't think my father or I or many other conservatives believe that, that Nazis are good people. I met a, a gentleman who was a member of the Squirrel Park neighborhood in uh, Pittsburgh who talked about how tender Trump was when he came there. And I, I think he does that dog whistle thing because it generates media attention and attention for him. And he, it is so dangerous and not okay. And I understand like the anger around that. But once again, people are not all one thing. And so he, that is something about him that is awful. With Bill Clinton, there were things about him that I know people didn't agree with. Barack Obama, there was things about him that people didn't agree with. It doesn't mean you threw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think in the Facebook group, they were talking about that, about how there is a way to disagree with someone that maybe we've lost sight of, like you you don't want to wish someone to fail, and so he truly have an office. And so, how do we make this work? how How do we enlighten him or get him the the experts that will make this successful? And what ideas does he bring to the table that really are good with regard to business and his criminal justice reform? I think is spot on about. The people who are nonviolent criminals who are in jail and shouldn't be for life. Those are the things that I think were hit on by a lot of conservatives in the group that a person isn't all one thing. But is that.
0: This is the president (laughs) of the United States. You're right. Saying that people marching on a city armed. Wearing intimidating paramilitary style outfits, chanting the words, Jews will not replace us. I got to just say uh, on my end to respond to that with people are not all one thing. That's a dog whistle I wish he didn't do, but he's also a good guy too. At what I, point I'm do we stop so excusing? Because he's not just another person. He's the president. And and you look right. at Charlottesville, and I believe in the timeline, of, right? That was 2017. A year later, you have a synagogue in Pittsburgh attacked. Is there... I, I don't... I
1: wouldn't s- say he's a good guy, honestly. And I think... That's probably where I feel the most, like, conservatives like me are not being represented. I would not say Trump is a good guy.
0: Okay, she doesn't think Trump is a good guy. Okay, I'm taking notes. So it, it sounds like her brand of conservatism mostly focuses on, a, on an appreciation of the uh, potential of capitalism. That's what it's mostly about, huh? So that being said, guess what? Capitalism involves advertisements, and we got advertisements for you. Support the capitalist system, by listening to these ads. Use the promo codes. Helps the show when you do. We'll be right back. You know what's not smart? Job boards that send you candidates that aren't qualified for the role you posted and that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through. What's the good in that? You want something that's going to help you a lot more, right? You know what is smart? Going to ziprecruiter.com slash beautiful to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience Then it actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. I'm not saying top ten. I'm not saying top five, I'm saying number one. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash beautiful. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ziprecruiter.com slash B-E-A-U-T-I-F-U-L. That's ziprecruiter.com slash beautiful. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call.
1: That's probably where I feel the most like conservatives like me are not being represented. I would not say Trump is a good guy. I don't believe that he is. I disagree with a lot of what he's talked about. And I think he's naive and I think he's very easily swayed. I think his version of conservatism is not the foundation that I subscribe to. And I... I think a lot of what John McCain talked about, I could really relate to because yeah. Vladimir Putin is not a good guy. Russia is not our friend. That is a horrible thing to be aligning ourselves with. And what Vladimir Putin is doing is more insidious than chemical warfare or having bombing us. He's literally planting divisions within us to make us turn on each other.
0: Yeah, it's and so terrifying. What
1: I've learned most about traveling in every single state and meeting so many different people is that actually most people are doing the best that they can. When you talk to them one-on-one, they believe in humanity and they're not hateful. And I think most people can be reasoned with that racism is horrible and wrong and shouldn't be tolerated. And that a wall seems like an unreasonable solution. And I, I just think that Donald Trump is like the radical of conservatism. And if like I mentioned before, a lot of the things that he believes in are the absolute opposite of conservatism, like taking yeah. people's property through imminent domain. That's absolutely counter to what conservatives believe in.
0: So in your opinion, okay, so, so you when you were young, you used to your parents really instilled like a sense of volunteering for you say you used to volunteer for Planned Parenthood. Do, are you still someone? Are these like opinions you hold personally? Are you still someone? Are you active in volunteering in larger groups? And are you around other people whose beliefs match yours? Or is it more of just personal opinion at this time? Either way is fine.
1: Well, I definitely do still volunteer. And I think that Because of my job as an auditor, I don't get to stay around the same kind of people ever. I'm around different kinds of people in every single state. It's kind of a wonder that we're a United States at all with how different we are in every state. It's miraculous in itself. But at our basic foundation, people are good and people don't want to hurt people. And I think Donald Trump, unfortunately, has probably unswept a lot of the worst pieces of people. And I think that's awful. And I think conservatives should be more outspoken about that, about this is not my
0: Republican Party. That's my big question is, and and it's tough because you're just one person. And that's the scary thing about the world right now, right? Is that we're all inundated with all this stuff all the time. And every single one of us goes, I'm one person. I'm one person on my iPhone, on my break at work going, holy shit, another thing happened. But I guess just being, one of the things that being someone who votes Democrat, being someone who lives in the neighborhood represented by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez here. I guess that's one of my questions is in your estimation, why is the Republican party staying in line? If like, I love I love hearing that you're like, nah, you know what? I worked myself up from the bootstraps. When I dabbled with that system, the system was totally available to me. I'm, I was a textbook person who could have gone into it, but I saw that it was gonna be an albatross that I was tying myself to. So this other thing makes sense. Hearing Donald Trump's eminent domain stuff actually is totally counter to what we all believe. Hearing you say, like, you know, this is not—I don't think he's a good guy. How come anyone who opposes him gets drummed out of the party? How come the Republican National Committee is so tied in closely with his re-election campaign? How come there's no serious primary challenge to him? Like, it seems like Jeff Flake is the only guy who really stood up to him, and he got ran— out of town.
1: Yeah, I think that speaks to two things. Number one, I think that speaks to the Republican Party's tendency to always put party like over individual people and to fall in line. And that's one of those like old traditional ideals that seems to really be a mainstay in the party. But I also think when it comes to people voting for Trump and people supporting representatives who also support Trump, it's about the fear and the struggle that is happening in this country with people like my dad and people that I meet every day when I travel. So feeling like the big machine left you behind, that success is not um, facilitated and it's punished and that it's really hard to get ahead even when you're in a household with two working people to struggle to not have career opportunities you know, after school that you, you reasonably can get into, that you have access to, to not have access to education. I think people feel despondent about all of that, and they feel like the system and big government isn't helping them, that they want an alternative. They want something different. They want someone who speaks to their fear. Right anger. And he does that for them. He, he speaks to those blue collar workers, you know, in Pennsylvania and in Oklahoma, all of those people who there are really, really struggling. My, my parents included.
0: I get it. I get all that. I guess my question is just, does all of that add up to all the rest of this shit being okay?
1: Right. And I think that's what is really uh, so hard to reconcile because whenever we have like a job, let's say, where our company is doing something that we don't believe in, but we believe in the greater company. Like we believe in the purpose of the company, but we don't believe in certain decisions. How do we keep going forward and working with it when we don't believe in certain things? And I think that's really tough. I think that's why you saw yesterday with the vote that they had in the Senate that the Democratic bill got more votes than the Republican bill, because people are sending a message of that, that, yes, they're Republican, but they're not willing to hold the American people hostage for a wall And so I, I think that's really tough. And it's an identity crisis I think conservatives are in. And it'll be really interesting to see after the Trump era, who kind of rises above and comes out to lead the party? Because I don't see people like Paul Ryan or Donald Trump or um, any of the other cast of characters he has with them as representing me. I'm a person who believes in personal agency and personal responsibility, having a strong military, you know, having legal immigration. But I don't subscribe to racism. And I don't believe that you should leave the middle and lower classes behind, and that rich people should be the only people with agency. I don't subscribe to that. So I get
0: all that. I get all. That. What a fascinating time we live in.
1: <laughs> it is, and it's also a little bit scary when you it have is? children. You'll see. You'll learn.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm. Sc- hey, if if having kids make th- makes things scarier, I am truly screwed because. I'm already scared all the time. A friend of mine said that to me. A friend of mine has a 5-month-old right now. My buddy Gluck, who I play basketball with, great dude. He's got a 5-month-old. He posted pictures on Facebook. The kid's adorable. I haven't met the kid yet. We're basketball friends, you know. We're not at each other's homes. But he said to me, he goes, I think you're going to be a really good dad because you're already nervous about everything all the time. Oh, and that's kind of cool. just what being a parent is. He's like, you're so used to being nervous all the time. I think you'll actually really be in your comfort zone as a parent.
1: Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, what's also been most striking to me about parenthood is the power that we have in forming a human being and their ideals. My kids obviously are going to be some sort of algorithm of my husband and I, as will well, your child. And what we say is so, it's like they're sponges. Yeah. And so I've never been more convinced of the fact that, you know, racism and all of those other insidious things in our society are learned. And they don't come from birth. And it's a tremendous responsibility. When I have a teenager and my son is asking questions about, things like the wall and why aren't people getting paid when they still have to work. And that just feels this like this heaviness of how do I explain this, and do it justice and make them a good person and yeah. empathetic. It's a
0: lot. What if, you, now so. you wound up, you wound up being, you know, your, your parent, right? Kids either get totally in line and amplify their parents' ideals or they come to head in the opposite direction. I think that would be like the that that's like the general way things go. You wound up, you were raised as a hippie and you've become a very uh sort of like pragmatic, conservative, self agency driven conservative, very different than how you're raised. What if one of your kids also rejects your ideals and becomes a personal speechwriter for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? How would you feel about that? If you, like your kid calls you, if you see her give a speech someday where she's like, I think Jeff Bezos owes every single American who makes less than $80,000 a year, $1 million. Um, and he calls you no. up and he's like, that was my line, mom. I hit that three point shot. I dunked on Bezos.
1: I think I would probably refer them to my life story of how personal responsibility yields so many great things, but I anticipate that out of four, one of them is bound to have something that is totally opposite of my beliefs. And I support that because I want them to be free-minded and I look forward to the kitchen table arguments that we have that, you know, will hopefully be very fruitful.
0: Yeah. I hope one day, you. I hope one of your kids turns around and is like, I think the government owes us all free drugs, like some <laughs> crazy <laughs> Legalize everything and give it to us for free, Mom.
1: Yes. One standard income for everyone.
0: Yes. Everybody
1: should have the same. Oh, it's going to happen. One of them is bound to do that to me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Universal guaranteed income, free college, free healthcare. I want it all, Mom. I want it all. (laughs) And you know what I want to do? I want to be a social media strategist. Is that your nightmare? (laughs) Is that the nightmare job for your kid to have, social media strategist?
1: You know what's so funny about that is, yeah, that's part, that would be such an interesting thing to be confronted with because I want them to have so much more. I guess, yeah, hope uh, and ambition to always do more. That was definitely what fueled me, because I just thought there always I could always do more.
0: If one of your kids becomes an Instagram influencer. How will you
1: feel about that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got the big question for you.
1: Okay.
0: Do you know what the big question is? No. Because you're a human being and your choices are made by your life story. And I respect them. And I respect the fact that you did what you did. I think that not everybody can pull off what you pulled off. Think some people do need Mm -hmm. help, but that's a difference that we have. I think that the system you described as broken in an ideal, in the the best version of the world, in my opinion, that's a system that gets fixed, that does teach people skills and does teach people agency and that has end goals in sight that involve people being able to walk with their heads held high. You don't think it's possible. I think it's due. I think it is. That being said, that's our fundamental difference. So I think we can see each other there. I think you and I would get along. I don't think we'd fight if politics came up. And it sounds like some of the things that really frighten me are things that also disgust you and that yeah. it's, it's a matter of breaking points and whatnot. We've talked about that. So here's the big Absolutely. question. Here's the big question. November 2020. You're in the voting booth. Now, no one mm-hmm. knows who you are. This is an anonymous show. You're in that voting booth. You've said, I don't think Donald Trump is a good guy. You've said, right. I don't think he actually represents conservative ideals. Right. It's his name on the ballot, someone else's name on the ballot. Can you still pull the lever for this guy?
1: I think I will speak for many conservatives in saying our generation is going to be the first that is brave enough not to put party over country. And I would vote no.
0: Wow, I didn't expect that. (laughs) I gotta say, there's been some elements of this call where I felt like maybe you were uh, rationalizing some of the bad behavior to a point where you were gonna say, "He's the one who still will be good for small business and for and for the economy." Yeah,
1: the shutdown is what did it for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's hitting a crisis point. Are there any? Okay, here's the follow up question: Is there anyone talked about? in the, in the democratic party who you could imagine taking it beyond abstaining and actually voting for a Democrat? No. (laughs) There was some real, there was a little bit of venom behind that. That sounded like it brought up a little bile in your throat, the very idea.
1: (laughs) No, I just don't think it's realistic. I, I think it's, in a utopia, what ACO talks about, your representative in your district, what she talks about in utopia, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? But we're, we've we got to apply it to the you know, pen and paper. And I, I don't think those are realistic goals in a lot of what um, many of them are talking about. But they haven't talked about their campaign platform, so anything is possible. I didn't think the government would be shut down for... A month and a half either so
0: yeah it's wild yeah what do you think about sherrod brown you know about him from ohio
1: i do know about him yeah he is a really interesting character he's a person i'm watching but me too i, I don't think i'm on the i would ever be on the aco or bernie sanders uh,
0: train. Beto, you're not voting for Beto? Skateboarding around in that no. parking lot? Oh, Beto's... No, I, he's
1: clean,
0: no. A punk rocker who skateboards? Uh, that's. <laughs> I'd vote for him just because of that. I'd vote for him just because he's into punk rock and he skateboards.
1: Because of his See, dental hygiene?
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it, great looking guy. Beto is the candidate who most likely uh, would have hung out with me in high school, and therefore, <laughs> yes. I like him lot. Gerard Brown, though, he's that... I'm Here's... The Democratic Party used to be the one that said, "Hey, to the working man, we want to protect your union." Are you not you don't like unions, even though you like the working class and you're about agency, you don't like the unions?
1: I don't, because once again, it's all about that individualism, that when something happens, having that self-agency to make radical individual change. And I think unions, though well-intentioned, a lot of times they can stagnate that. Mm. And so to slower change in I think we should all have personal agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like you. Thanks, Gus. D- I've always liked you.
0: I like you. I like your story. I wish. Thank uh, you. I wish. I guess I wish there were. I wish someone would stand up on the Senate floor who'd say, I'm a Republican, but what the fuck are we doing? I wish that would happen. And I'm really disappointed it hasn't happened yet.
1: I agree with you. And that is all about just their rigidity and being so for the party and believing that when we are with somebody, we have to support them
0: no matter what. I really hope that someday in the future, the word McConnell is used to indicate a boogeyman like terrifying creature that children should fear. That's just my personal opinion. (laughs)
1: wanted and i'm i wonder how he feels about that now that I guy he's reflecting
0: just drop the party stuff and get this get the kids out of the tents can we get the kids out of the tents oh. and then we'll talk
1: oh gosh that's awful
0: <laughs> you're nice though and thank you for calling yes not all
1: con- conservatives are racist or bad people And I'm not teaching my kids that. And I just needed people to know that.
0: (laughs) I think that's really great and reassuring to hear very genuinely. Um, The values, the country is better off when there's balance and there's different perspectives. And to hear you say, I remember a time where this was about, let me make my own money. Let me pull myself up by my own bootstraps. It's not about racism. It's not about xenophobia. To hear that makes me feel like maybe we can get on the other side of this era where Both people on both sides, chill out and talk to each other once again.
1: Amen. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Caller, thanks for calling so sincerely. You've been through a lot and you've made the best of yourself. It's inspiring to hear. I don't agree with your politics, but I'm still inspired by you. It's a really cool thing to feel right now and also i'll say this i didn't get to say this to you on the call i know that the fan base of this show is more often than not vocally progressive and that's because of me and it was brave of you to call in and do that brave it's cool i respect you thank you so much thanks to jared o'connell organizing the whole thing. Thanks to Harry Nelson, even though you've abandoned me this week. Not actually in the booth, but still a big part of the show. Thank you to Justin Linville for all of your help. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. Want to know about me? I got road dates. ChrisGeth.com I'm going to get back out there one more time before the baby comes. Hey, if you like Beautiful Anonymous, what you do, you go to Apple Podcasts, you rate, review, subscribe. Really helps when you do. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, it finally comes to this. But I think people still see you as that
1: kind of like underground, more niche guy. Is niche an annoying word? Probably, but...
0: It's a terrifying... Uh, it's actually a terrifying uh, word. It means, it means that... That's the scary... I think that's why I'm so scared lately. It's like, oh no. well, I've now gotten too successful to still genuinely be underground cool, but I'm not successful enough. Okay. So I'm still niche. And that sounds to me like someone whose career no. could fall apart in five minutes. That's what that, no, Also, no. does this mark a low point in the show? Does me begging a 24 year old to explain to me if I'm cool or not <laughs> mark an official low point in the history of Beautiful Anonymous? You're so cool. <laughs> That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous.